Welcome to the Art Fight Podcast. I'm here with Joe Nolan and our special guest all the way from uh, Los Angeles, uh, who clearly is vaping and about to tell us a story or two. Um, so, uh... Uh, yes, yeah, so sorry, audience. You're not going to be able to see this uh, this uh, this scene we have here with our special guest, but um, but maybe you would like to do an introduction, Joe. Well, uh, Kevin Ronka, thank you for joining us. Uh, uh, Kevin and I connected last year when uh, the film that we one of the things you're here to talk about today is a film that you have going into a bigger uh, release uh, in on all the streaming services. So, why don't you just like talk a little bit about how we you know came to know each other at the Defy Film Fest last year in Nashville? Yeah, absolutely, and thanks again for having me. Um, Defy was a really big turning point for us because we had submitted to like, I know we wear it as a badge of honor. I think we submitted to like over a hundred festivals and uh, we, we got into three. So um, Defy was a, was a really big deal um, because what had happened was we couldn't get a theater to show it and we couldn't get a festival to show it. I'm not speaking to the quality of the film. It was more of the thematic elements of the film. Um, and you, we kept hearing from people like um, like theaters and stuff like, oh, this film doesn't have a big appeal. Oh, it's a real niche thing. It's it's really taboo. But in reality, I think that's just another example of like the sort of gatekeepers telling the audiences what to watch. Like they don't ask them, do you want 100 superhero movies? They just tell them you're getting 100 superhero movies. So I don't think the film is as taboo as much as people just don't want to have that discussion or let people have that discussion. But it's actually a pretty broad issue that affects so many people that I'd be I'd be guaranteeing that working class people and, and even non-working class people from all sides know an addict and this is actually does connect to them and their own life. It has a very broad appeal because of how big this epidemic is. And to, to test that yeah so to test that theory and this is going to lead to defy when, when nobody would let us uh, screen it we we found a, a it's a former mausoleum in Philadelphia called the Philomoca. It's like a landmark kind of like underground theater that when I was actually homeless, I used to go to quite a bit. So I emailed them and within like a five minutes, they're like, yeah, we'll screen this for sure. Um, they had screened another movie about a neo-Nazi, um, an Australian documentary that was kind of controversial. Um, not not in any way positive to a neo-Nazi, but it just followed him around and showed how kind of dumb he was. But nobody would screen that movie either. What was that one so called? We went, I can't remember what uh, it was, but I, it looked I really good though. Yeah, it yeah. looked really good. It yeah. might be from like Iceland or something, but so... You know, we I flew out there. Me and Stephen flew out there because um, I'm from uh, Pennsylvania. And we we spent a week together. We went up and did the screening, and we I mean, we pretty much filled it up. I mean, it was like you know, 65 tickets sold or something, which is you know, I'll go see a movie in the afternoon, like a matinee of Tyler Perry movie or something. Maybe there's like eight people in the audience. So I was feeling good on a Thursday to get that many people, and I think it shattered that like nobody wants to see this movie. And a lot of people, we did the Q and A, and there was a lot of people saying like, yeah, this reminds me of my son or my brother or my friend. So. We actually got written up in an article in Philly Weekly, which made my family very upset because it was a fairly candid article about me and Stephen's past. And um, that article in the screening was enough to get Defy to, like, you know, take a look at it and, like, let it in. So it, it all kind of builds to this moment where you don't just, like, drop a film like people think and say, like, oh, rejection or acceptance. You just kind of keep pushing, keep holding everything in that happens. Like, you get a screening, you pull that in, you get an article, you pull that in, like, you're baking a cake, and then you just kind of keep doing that. And that led us to Defy, and, and we didn't realize it was going to be kind of like the opener and, and getting such a big reaction, and we had no idea what to expect. So that was just a monumental you know, moment of our career, and that was a great time to meet Joe. And, um, and I started following him more and realizing how much we have in common outside of just film and just perspectives and philosophy, which mm -hmm. I thought was really It's really amazing to me that, um, that your, the, the, the sort of journey that you just sort of uh, summarized 
is an exact sort of replication of really the journey that you've been through to even get to the point to to have this uh, you know um, film or this challenge, right? Because you're you're sort of ha- like when you talk about your family not being thrilled about uh, you know what, what was happening in the you know being expressed in the, the public view or or whatever, you know it's like whatever that stuff is made of, that's the same shit. I'm sure that's part of the tapestry of things that led you to be in partially, right? Like not responsible for, but that's part of the environment of what, you know, was native to your journey. Does that make sense? Oh, no, no. I think that, I think that's absolutely right. I think everything we experience good or bad in our life. And there's a big build and destroy element makes us the person we are standing here. And that's why some of the I think best people, the people that inspire me, like the William S. Burroughs and some of those people, they, they experience traumatic suffering um, to expel some some beauty. I mean, that's really, to me, what it's about. And so, yeah, I mean, it was also, there was a lot of irony to like being back in Philadelphia from, you know, I was homeless there for about six months, um, 2007, I believe. Um, and so there was this kind of great irony. It reminded me of a good, you know, life is, is uh, and this is why I like film so much, is there's almost like an arc to everything, you know, everything is an arc. And even as human beings, you know, unless you're stagnant, which is usually a, a bad thing, you you have this trajectory and then the, the tragedy and then to end up being going back to the place I used to go when I was homeless and playing my film about addiction was really fulfilling. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, uh, just to just to fill in some uh, some listeners who maybe didn't see the film at Defy or haven't been following you the way I've been following you on social media. Uh, we're talking about a movie that's called Nightcrawlers. It's made by your friend that you keep mentioning uh, who you met when you were homeless. And um, Oh, no, no. I should say, I didn't meet him when I was homeless. I met him uh, two years ago, and it's actually because I was not homeless and I kind of okay. built something. That I could help him, but yeah, just wanted to make sure. No, that's good. That's what we're, I'm trying to get these facts yeah, clear because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a it's a rather complicated story, and it's and it's but it's an important story because, and this is the thing I think is so unique about the film, is that it's a feature documentary. We're talking about a feature documentary that was highlighted as really the gem in the crown of the programming at the Defy Film Festival in Nashville, which is expressly an experimental film festival. You know that. The, Everything they show there is experimental, weird, visionary kind of filmmaking. And and your movie was like right there as the highlighted thing they had. And it's a featured documentary. Right. And I think that's what makes it so unique is that it's it comes off like an art film, but it's it's literally a, a guy, a, 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 a cinematic diary of a young homeless man's life. Yeah, I, re- I really appreciate that. And that that was the cool thing with the is when we were in Philly, we were showing that to people that maybe didn't have that same taste. You know, like people in Phi have a real taste that I saw when I was there. I watched a lot of films, and they they varied wildly, but they were all very <laughs> very uh, yeah, they were very transgressive, and and that was kind of the pulse of like some really underground cinema there. And um, and I want to shout that festival out and say there was a great other feature played. There was two great features played there. One of them was called Jonathan Agassi uh, Saved My Life, which was about an Israeli gay porn star. And um, I've actually, yeah, I've been in touch with that filmmaker, and that was a phenomenal film as well, um, which made it, yeah, made me feel even better about, you know, screening there was I was around a lot of filmmakers I really like. And Senior Love Triangle, which played day two, uh, I've, be- I've become good friends, actually, believe it or not, with the filmmaker of Senior Love Triangle. We've had a lot of, you know, meetings and stuff, and, and that. Being being in the company of some of those films was really incredible. I, I was pretty blown away by uh, by some of the work I, I saw there. But um, yeah, when when we came in, when we went to the festival, we were like, we're not going to watch this movie again because it, it is traumatic. 
You know, it is traumatic for us. It's traumatic for Stephen to live through it again. So we went out, we got food, we smoked 150 cigarettes and we just were like, okay, it's going to be over soon. We timed it and everything. And then we came walking in and it was like the last 10 minutes and we're like, shit, you know, like, but we got to watch Stephen, uh, spoiler, we got to watch Stephen, you know, basically OD at the end of the film. And we were like, you know, petrified and, uh, you know, but in the end, when we walked in and, and I saw Steven seeing like all these people there to see his movie, I think that for me was bigger than any monetary, you know, any money the movie could make or success was like finding this guy in a homeless shelter and, and who just, I think, wants to be heard. And then him finally being heard in this room of people clapping for him. I mean, like that was it for me, you know, and I think I, I thought at that moment, like no matter what happens with this film, this was what I really wanted when I reached out to Steven. Mm-hmm. Man, that's real, that's a beautiful thing. I, I wish that there was a, do, is there any document of that? <laughs> oh yeah, we act, there was a Q and A. Um, unfortunately, I accidentally deleted the phone recording and my wife did it. <laughs> but I wondered if Defy had, had filmed their Q and A's because they have photos and stuff. I, I hope they I bet you they did because I think they've been pretty good about documenting that stuff because really it's run by filmmakers. You know what I mean? It so it's, it's, I can't imagine that they're not documenting that stuff. So maybe yeah, we need to search yeah. their website or uh, get a hold of Dicey or something and find out. Yeah. And they're really, they're really receptive too. Sorry. I was just going to say, um, by the way, uh, we are coming to you right now. Joe and I are sitting at ground zero of uh, what was the uh, setting for Gummo. That's true. No way. Yeah. This, where we are right now is, uh, so the neighborhood that I live in, in West Nashville, it's called the nations. And, um, that's where all that was, was shot. Mm-hmm. And what is it like 97? And, um, and, it's uh, weird how much and it's it, weird. How different I, it is. Yeah. So I got, I got here to Nashville around that time. And this whole part of town was, um, you know, it, it's, you want to think that it's just this wild, uh, sort of caricature, right? But um, I mean, it, it's not. I mean, of course, there's there's you know some pretty strange um, anchoring things in that movie, you know, with the with the cats and all the things. But but it's like in general, that's not far from what it was. And there's like this whole neighborhood's been raised. It's been completely washed. And then now I'm in sort of like a, uh, if you can't beat them, join them sort of uh, part of the problem house that is <laughs> on the land that all of that was that whole set. If you want to call it that, that whole environment, yeah. this it's an unprecedented sort of just uh, sort of napalming of an entire neighborhood and then uh, doubling up the density and putting in tall, skinny houses all the way through. Oh my God! It, so you're saying you are you live now where Gummo was was shot, but they've gentrified it and forced the people out who who really were in that film. I always figured that film, even though it took a sort of pseudo documentary dystopian kind of Harmony Korine approach, I always figured the heart and soul of that film though was real, you know, and that 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 what existed beneath that was absolutely speaking to those kind of people and another another group of people that don't really get represented in, in cinema at all so that's kind of amazing and just with the vein of nightcrawlers that you're sitting in that place while we do this you know i mean yeah there's something there's something uh there's always gonna be something so dear to me about that movie it, and it's um you know and i don't know about you joe but whenever i think about it i want to wrestle a chair <laughs> <laughs> i like uh, uh julian donkey boy <laughs> oh, I know. I love it. Yeah, I love. I love both of them. Gummo to me is one of the. Uh, was it the nineties or two thousand? It was the nineties. Nineties. One of the best films of that decade, I think. Yeah. I really had argument. I don't think it got the credit. I think Kids was good, but I think Gummo was actually might have been better. Um, 
And it took me a, a second or third watch to get to that point. But, um, you know, it, it, it's also ironic because Stephen had really, I think, two or three films that he was like really clearly inspired by. And I know Gummo was one of them, obviously. And then you have like Snow on the Bluff, surprisingly, was also one of them. Um, just because at the time, even though that film turned out not to be completely true, again, there was like an honesty underneath of it. Like there is, you know, Curtis Snow does live in the Bluff and the Bluff is. Um, but at the same time, too, I think... Um, I think that with Steven, he initially envisioned Nightcrawlers as taking more of like a fictional narrative path. And he had like a screenplay to it. And he was going to mix the fact and the fiction. I think he did believe there was there was something honest about that even um, than just, you know, reality is to just right away admit to the and submit to the subjectivity of documentary film and, and sort of just embrace it. And I, you know, I think that could have been another film entirely. But remember, when I jumped on a call with him when he was in the shelter, I think I was still in college. About to graduate, and I remember being on the phone with him. And I, I, I found this trailer in 2013, which was just—I mean, I think I've uploaded the trailer before, but it was really just a minute-long, really raw trailer of just footage. There's syringes and fist fights. It was almost like a bum fights or something. And then at the end, um, I mean, it really did from the outset. And at the end, I remember on paper he had written like coming in 2013. And after like we watched it at, like a meeting when we were trying to figure out what our next project was, and I think within seconds I was like intoxicated by it. And I was like, yeah, whatever this is, I'm going to spend like. I call the guy and find out if he's totally nuts or if he's a really conscious, smart filmmaker. Because you know, like, film's like a language. So through the trailer, I'm like, hey, this guy's either a genius or he's just totally mental and just like putting. <laughs> so when I called him um, and he was in the shelter, I was actually astounded and so happy that he was like a brilliant mind. He knew kind of exactly what he was doing and what he was playing with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and he was kind of like a total cinephile. You know what I mean? So that, But, uh, yeah, that was uh, that's kind of how the progress really started with that. Um, I know I kind of like, yeah, like I know I kind of subverted uh, from where we're talking about, but I mean, it kind of is kind of related though, because then when we met, it was like, you know, he was naming people like Harmony Corinne and Gummo and all these different filmmakers and saying what the film was supposed to be. And that's, uh, you know, we tried to, you know, without copying those people, we think of those as some of the forefathers of like, I think, really transgressive filmmaking and challenging what is real and what isn't and, and if you can really achieve something. And I think, you know, this film is very much steeped in reality, but it, it does have its, uh, everything's true but you know everything exists within a process of making it that you know you, you narratively splice together it becomes its own thing it's not like this is reality it's like you know it's um i think i think you have to have that you know i think it's the i mean part of it is his footage and his and like you say i mean he's got he's got a take on what he's doing he's not just randomly shooting like a die i mean i called it a diary and it is that but but there's there's intention behind what he's doing, you know, and you can tell, and that's a, the reason why it looks so good. Can you? And can, then the way that it's edited, huh? I was just gonna say, can you, uh, just for the sake of the sort of listeners, because I, I want to visualize a little bit more of, or at least you know, sort of transmit some of that. So, is there like at, I love what you're saying. I guess I just mm -hmm. want to sort of par parlay it with maybe examples or things because I, uh, we we haven't really gotten so much into the actual film yet, mm -hmm. and so I just don't want people to lose like total touch with reality, even though we know what we're talking about should we just should we set up the film sort of if people don't know what it is yeah because yeah, i feel like yeah. you know yeah sure joe, joe do you want to set it up you can or do you want you know, well i mean i feel like i have set it up. i mean it's <laughs> yeah, yeah it's yeah. a movie but it's but it's a film it was shot over seven years is that right yeah, like like five or six, like six or seven. It's kind of in that range. 2011. As a as a he's a young he's a young uh, teenager when he gets his first camera. Right. He uh, by the time he, he's graduating from high school, essentially, he's 
already beginning to like take his camera into the city and start shooting these short movies on the streets and stuff. He meets uh, some homeless people. He starts getting preoccupied with getting their stories and interviewing them. And little by little, he just sort of slips into that life and starts being a homeless kid himself for the next seven years and filming all of this. How's that? And just some of the visuals, <laughs> and some of the visuals that okay. go along with it, you know, like, like even just in the trailer that you mentioned, there's some very specific, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of like he, you're really seeing a transformation from a sort of a young, uh, sort of, uh, not as affected person, yeah. uh, that goes through this transformation. And then, you know, he's, he's speaking directly with and interacting with a, a lot of, um, uh, these, these, uh, you know, people, uh, and situations. Uh, so if there's anything specific we can get to like, uh, in and around just visuals, because I think that there's a lot to be said for just the aesthetic in terms of this is like high eight and a lot of VHS and, and not like in a cheeky, like I'm doing this in a, no, it's (laughs) it's just just what you have. It's archival footage, you know? So it's, there's all these different media. And then there's also just, I mean, what I'm getting at is I just feel like, um, uh, the difference is that like, he's, he's experimenting with the camera. He's experimenting with the story. He's experimenting with all these things and he's, and he's shooting shots like somebody who understands how a composition should look, not just like, you know, and someone who get, who cares, you know, who wants it to look a certain way. You know what I mean? There's just an intentionality to the thing that you don't expect because you're literally watching a guy just making a movie of his life in this unusual circumstance that usually part of that's one of the appeals of it is that's one of those documentaries that gives you a, a, a point of view into a world that most of us don't understand or know about. No, I, I think you nailed it. And I think um, that was the, the, the difference I think between someone going on Stephen's journey, who didn't maybe have a, a real love for cinema and an understanding of the image to just maybe anybody else just doing it was that he was very conscious in his comp. Like we were always blown away by, so some of the shots in it. And I mean, part of that is the shot, you know, 80 hours and you're obviously going to have some good stuff in there, but <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of the stuff that didn't make the movie was really beautiful. Some of the early cuts were closer to two hours and there was some really nice stuff in there. Um, yeah. I, I think you're totally right. I think the aesthetic choice, like what, what I think makes it feel so honest and not like cheeky, like you had mentioned was that Steven kind of is one of those people that just works with what he has. Like he didn't even have an HD camera. He was like, I have this camcorder. And so this is what it's being shot on. And I'm going to make this work for me. And then he became, I think, uh, you know, you, you even see it in the film, um, you know, the shot POV is not only is this a part of Steven's life leaving high school, where I think you're, you're sort of evolving and finding out the person you're going to be, but he's also holding the camera, finding out the filmmaker that he's going to be too. And I think, you know, cause that's what you do when you start being a filmmaker at a young age, like, who am I, you know, what am I, trying to do so the merging of those i think makes the film interesting because um you know i think there is an evolution as the film goes on of steven kind of growing into the man that you know we'll later see him as and i think you even see it with the camera because by the end of the film he's not even filming part of it when he's when he's actually living under the bridge there's like a guy with an hd camera shooting that part that was a actual conscious choice format switching because it showed steven it kind of lost control no more or less so um and i think the, and then the, the ending of it which i'm not going to give away what it is is pretty intense but uh shot with an iphone completely incapable at that point. So um, I think that the aesthetic was definitely always, always uh, something that drew me to it. And, and that the aesthetic lined up with the themes, because that's a big thing you see films sometimes where like, there's a lot of aesthetic choice being made, but it doesn't really line up with the thematic elements of the film. Maybe the film doesn't have any thematic elements. I remember a, a friend of mine, a Russian DP was telling me yesterday that Tarkovsky's DP actually was telling, uh, had this great quote that like, if a movie is done, and the audience's first thing to say is like, well, the cinematography was great. Or like the look was great. 
the Tarkovsky's DP said that was actually a failure on his part because that's all they remember and they got lost in that and then the movie itself wasn't even important enough, the characters and stuff. So it was important to me that the film, when I looked at all this footage, finally had a lot of heart, you know, there's a lot of soul to it, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a hundred percent. And, and it's, it's, it, it, here's why it's great because it's got all that heart. It's a real story. And uh, on top of it, you know, for people who, who really are into the cinematic thing and really do know about film and really can sort of recognize somebody else who who's doing the same thing. I feel like, you know, there's also a lot to, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to wonder at, like in terms of the style and things like that, that actually come through. And it's like, man, this guy, this guy did this, you know, in rather dire circumstances with nearly nothing. You know, that's another thing about it too, is it's like such a, there's such a punk rock element to the whole thing. Cause it's like, you know, it's just, it's like, he won't be denied. Like he's going to make this movie, you know, and, and I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, most no, people I, will get stopped by much less. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah. <laughs> I've, I've had people want to make a project and they, you know, they fall a few grand under the budget and they have like a 10 grand budget. Like, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and that's just it. Or like, you know, even smaller things like, and it's understandable, just everyday life can suffocate an artist or filmmaker, uh-huh. you know, crush their dreams under you know, a thousand tons of capitalism. You know, what I mean? mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> like, you know, especially in LA where you have to do like five or six hustles. I believe you should have four, at least five hustles that you do just to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. Out here, I feel like money is like flammable, you know, like it's like, it's like can, it burns, yeah. burns constantly, you know, um, can you give me a give me a like uh, a, a little bit of an insight into like just your daily life out there and how you're making it work? I mean, you're obviously about to release your movie as the produ- the producer of this film we've been talking about. And we can get back to more of that. But like in addition to that, like what are you doing out in L.A. to make the, this is like the art fight thing? You know, this is like this is like you like this is what I do so that I can do what I do. <laughs> no no that's a really good question give me like a few seconds to think about how much or how little i'd want to reveal and so this, this is what i'll say um and it's gonna make some people maybe close to me unhappy but um i've always said that since steven was being so willing to put himself out there uh which is why i did the philly weekly interview and, so, and told so much time for me to make it up to him and also put myself out there uh-huh. my own story is a lot of why i got uh connected to this but my history was wanting to be a filmmaker and then it not working and kind of dropping out from, from all forms of society. I mean, I ended up being homeless like Stephen and falling into some illicit things. And when I was homeless, I did, you know, I had later in my life, I received financial help from my, from my family, which I want to shout them out. But at this time uh, I was forced to sort of deal with my issues as, as a parent should maybe let their, their child kind of go through it. So I was homeless for a while and I was learning to hustle and things like that. And I'll kind of keep that where it is. But I do think that, helped me when I got out to LA, which is really just a game, in my opinion, that a lot of filmmakers don't realize. When you get out here, it is literally a game. I mean, that's what I think of it as. Um, People will seem like your friend. They're not. A lot of times there is just um, wanting to get something out of you, and there's like a favorite trading element, and it's been something I've had to adapt to um, initially. You know, you have this idea of art, and it's it's about the beauty, and and it's about the soul, and the heart, and, and communicating something through a language, but what you find out is that's what you want it to be. And that's what they sell it as. But the industry, which I moved out here to be a part of is, is morally bankrupt. I would say (laughs) it much mirrors, if not connected to what we see in in the more administration side of things and the government and stuff like that. It's, it's very linked to, there is an establishment here, power brokers, 
behind the scenes deciding what movies will succeed and what won't. And oftentimes that's related to the message. So a filmmaker like me has had to really scrap from the bottom to survive and stay true to themselves. And there's been times where it seemed like the point of starvation where you're like pulling coins out of your, your, your couch cushions. But if you sleep okay at night, I would rather sleep on a blanket in the street than in a nice penthouse where I know that I'm just doing terrible, morally awful things. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. I don't think there are many people like that, but I do think if you stay true to yourself, people will eventually recognize that. But to go back to your question about what's going on right now, because I make films that I think speak to working people and, and have progressive values and, and things that people are afraid to see and talk about because they're a horrific reality for many people who have no voice in this industry. Um, I do a lot of different things to keep the lights on. I'm married as well. Um, I sell shoes. So my wife's father owns a shoe company. Um, and they're based in China, but the quality is very good. So um, <laughs> it really is. I've been to the factories. I've seen the conditions. I mean, they get paid vacation. I mean, it's like it's, a, it's not what the stereotype is at all. And they sell in Europe a lot. And uh, they were trying to sell them here and it didn't work out. And we ended up with a massive storage space of them. I don't know anything about shoes. But when you run out of money and you can't get a job in this industry, you will just turn to whatever you do. The next thing I know, I became a shoe a shoe dealer more or less it was like weed but it was like weed with a better you know a better more consistent product and i was just driving around la selling them and it, it actually went better and better and better and became partially viable to help pay my rent and that became That's like cool. one so yeah i was tutoring international students as well um you know um helping them with their classes, uh, I, I and then I, and then another thing that I do though that's more in the vein of what I want to do is um I do screenwriting I do analysis I do lessons I've, I've even had some clients related to some pretty big people but I keep that kind of stuff pretty quiet but I've been helping them um and doing some script uh, readings for Courtney Cox and stuff like that from friends I mean just kind of a whole lot of things wow um, bunch of weird universe stuff like how did why how was this what's happening yeah like yeah yeah i, I love the idea of like the all the tangential sort of uh either just this is my nearest option and it's kind of random but i'm gonna do the shoe thing or whatever all of that i mean you're learning how to sell you're learning how to you're learning you're you're, you're advancing your your ability to sell and then uh you're advancing your ability to communicate and uh convert sort of thoughts or language into something that's you know actually got movement I mean, like you there's if you really strip down the essence of what all these various things are that you're doing, it's completely directly applicable to exactly what you're doing right now, fully symbiotic and therefore should be probably embraced because uh, as opposed to feeling like it's just this, this kind of I'm not saying you think of it this way, but I think people tend to think of their side hustles as side hustles. And I feel like you should be a little bit more, dare I say, I hate the word, but holistic about like sort of how you approach that stuff, because every everything is so it's but but what a great way to have like this kind of to have an avenue to play around with that with those sort of uh chemicals or those sort of well, whatever that stuff is right like you get to go play in an, a sandbox essentially and in an environment that if it totally tanks it's not going to make you feel like you did something terrible on your you know when you're reflecting back on your deathbed and feeling like a total failure it's not going to be because you didn't cut it as a shoe salesman right <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, that's, you're absolutely right about that I never thought of it that <laughs> well as a man who's had a lot of side hustles right you <laughs> you have to find some way to recognize it and then sort of rationalize it or ha have it work for you because it's inevitable and it's there, you know, and, and I think that actually this is sort of a, a good way to sort of segue a little bit into what uh, Joe and I were talking about that you were not, uh, this is before we got on with you here, but um, 
we were just talking about Joe made a great point about how um, if you just think about homelessness as a concept uh, and then how these things are typically depicted, right? You've got sort of the skid row content farmer kind of uh, approach, right? And then you've got all these sort of various uh, degrees in between, but, but, uh, but there's something really beautiful about uh, this film because it actually speaks to essentially this un spoken piece about that, that maybe that perhaps underneath it all, there's an allure or that there's a, like, right. maybe you can speak to yeah, that. I, just, yeah. I was just talking about the whole thing that I find one of the, well, I mean, I've, I've been talking about all of these things that I find are unique about these combinations of things that are happening in this documentary that reads like a fictional film, you know, in terms of the cinema and stuff. But, but the, one of the other things about it is that, you know, and part of it, I think is because of the, he's like, he's got the point of view of a younger man. Right. Um, uh, but, but there, you know, there is. I don't feel like the film glorifies drugs or glorifies poverty or anything like that. And I feel like it also honestly embraces the fact that there is an allure to the freedom of that life, you know, and that, that there's something about that, that he actually finds attractive at the beginning. And that's how he goes there, you know, cause I think, I think it, again, in our capitalist society or whatever, there's this repulsion about the, about poverty, you know what I mean? And homelessness and things like that. But the truth is, you know, and I, you know, I've worked with a, with a street paper in Nashville for years. I've met lots of people who work with homeless people. I've met lots of homeless people. And even they'll tell me like, you know, that's why some, there you see so many homeless people who, you know, uh, will be homeless, get, get home, get, you know, housing of some kind, and then may end up voluntarily sort of going back to their homeless life because it was, there's something attractive about it. That's, that's a great point. And if I, if I may, I would like to just conjoin the things you just said, which I was wanting to address and what you just said, because I think they actually said something similar. When you talk about the side hustles, and this is related to what you're, you're saying, I think, I, I think people, I want to make sure I make it clear. I'm very, I'm very proud of that, but I also encourage artists and filmmakers to do not just say, I'm going to be a filmmaker and I'm just going to make movies that somebody watches to become a hustler. And I say hustler as a, as a positive, everybody in my group is a hustler. And I think, um, and, and, and that's a positive thing that means, you know, fighting for, you know what I mean? And doing anything you have to do to continue to do what you're doing is those like you had said, are going to build skills to survive in, in the real world. And when you have your back against the wall or more or less a gun to your head, that is when you see, I think the strength of the human spirit and also the depths of peril your human spirit can go through. And this ties to what you're saying, I'm about nightcrawlers and, and that lifestyle is I think as filmmakers and because Steve and I kind of came from there, that's kind of what we've known to do is scrap a little bit and fight for survival. And that's what these people do every day. And there's also a freedom. You know, they push themselves to the brink of existence, but they also live outside the walls of it. So you have these just diverse elements. And that's why I think you do see people push to their absolute brink. And I think in life, more and more people should do that. Like I would have never sold shoes if I was in that spot, but I think all of it is the kind of things you see on the streets too. This is the kind of thing that they will do anything to get what they need. Oftentimes, I mean, oftentimes they don't get what they need, but you'd be so shocked by the, uh, actually the intelligence of these kind of communities and how those stigmas should not exist. These people are very bright. And, uh, oftentimes it is, like you said, a capitalism situation, but I think there is something to learn to that lifestyle. I think a lot of people wonder, but they're afraid if they could just pack it all up tomorrow and say, I'm going to try to do something I shouldn't do. And if I don't, I have no safety net. I'm going to basically be living on the streets amongst other everyday people. I mean, homeless people themselves are treated sometimes like some kind of other species by people that, you know, out of a way on the street, but 
these are human beings. I mean, they are literally, it, it baffles the mind, you know? I mean, how we, it's not that homelessness is not that big of a deal is we've become so complacent in it, like a drug. We, we have a tolerance now to the fact that if you go to Baltimore, 20 people might try to get money from you on the street. That's not something, uh, you know, outside of a federal bank, you know, like or something like that. That's not something that we should ever feel is normal, but we do because the problem is so bad. And I think addiction is like that too, where like, it is alluring to, to go with what you said, but also people either don't want to look at it or just like shrug their shoulders at it now because we're so used to the idea of millions of people being affected by a drug epidemic, shooting a drug into their veins to escape an existence. And, you know, it's like, like Burroughs said, people, people who don't understand how that could be possible. It's like an anathema to someone, an anathema to someone that doesn't understand that uh, somebody could hate their life so much or be so pained or broken that they would literally shoot something in their vein that could kill them in 10 seconds. I mean, you know, like mm. what that, that is astounding. Like really millions <laughs> of people are doing that when they stamp heroin bags. Um, I had heard, I read an article about this and my, my mom works as an ER nurse. They actually market the drug that could kill you. And the more an addict thinks that's possible, the more they want to buy it. So with weed, you have names like Charlie Sheen or train wreck, right? And with heroin, <laughs> you have, you know, or like sometimes lighthearted things, um, you know, Girl Scout cookies, but with heroin, they're, they're stamped with names like Dead Man Walking. That's like a name you sell on someone like, this is going to kill you. Dude. Like, <laughs> anybody that would take something like that, the idea that they would want to live that kind of existence and that they are not either deeply pained or in a mental health situation or depression through poverty, if you don't believe that and you think they just love it, I mean, I think you're nuts. I mean, it is the biggest cry for help you could imagine is someone jabbing their vein with a needle to escape life, completely escape it. Um, to complete euphoria and nodding out of, of like becoming a piece of furniture more or less in a room because you don't want to be here. I think Stephen, I think speaks to that. And I think that's the importance of the film is he takes someone who doesn't think that's possible. Like how could anyone do that? And you start with him and you're in that, and he's in that same mind state. You bond, bond with him right away. Like this guy wouldn't shoot heroin. He's very constantly doing. And because you're in POV and you're locked in, it's like VR. I mean, soon you are kind of like a part of this journey. And at the end, it doesn't seem, it's weird that somebody it's like oh an everyday person could have that happen i think that's the experiment i saw when i met steven i think he thought a harmony print approach would be and i think that would have made a great film with the film. could have made 20 movies out of it. i told him that i think and he agreed that we should really try to speak to something bigger because this is a real epidemic and i don't think like a, an art house film alone would do it i think we should show people what's really going on like you had said people do want to see it some of them they may not admit it but to be pov in that kind of a lifestyle is extraordinary mm -hmm. yeah no it's 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 excellent and and you know one of the reasons why uh you know we scheduled you to come on today is because you were in touch with me recently about the fact that soon many more people will have the opportunity to see your movie and this is probably your biggest hustle you have going on right now is you're about to release it uh on on is it on dvd and streaming platforms or just streaming platforms which is all anybody really wants anyway <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. So this, is the, this is the big thing it is it you know it's been a seven i guess nine years with my involvement movie, almost a decade journey and it will finally be coming out on video on uh, vimeo on demand which is an actual thing um i didn't know that vimeo on demand is international so anybody can watch on there It'll be the same price. And then if you're, if you have Amazon, you know, you can buy it for rent on Amazon. You can buy or rent it, but I'm glad I could come on here. Cause I do want to say Amazon, apparently in the last couple of years of us working on this, have, they have a new review process. You have to oh, love cool. Amazon. They have a new, well, not as cool as you would think is they have to <laughs> bring the movie before it comes out now where they could essentially reject it 
on principle of uh, sort of a vague content type, type of thing. That's what that means. But um, we're confident it's going to go through. You know, we started the process a long time ago. But in the event on Friday or Saturday, it is not up yet. It would probably be Sunday at the latest because we'll be on the phone complaining to them. Just go to Vimeo On Demand. Like, it'll be no problem. It'll go up right away. And, and it's the same thing as, you know, you're going to pay for it on Amazon. But if, if, if for some reason that's an issue and you really have to watch it that day, um, that would be the place to see it. But we also offer the other extreme. We have VHS tapes. Now, they can't see them. Oh, that's the right. Can't yeah, see VHS it. tapes. I forgot. I'm going to show you them. Um, the audience can't see it. But, oh. but this is the cool part. They have reversible covers. So you can actually like put the reversible cover on it and just decide yeah. which cover. So you know, oh, I, I mean, uh, so so, and just for the audience, so you know, I, for those who uh, are as old as we are, we we grew up with all this stuff, so it's pretty familiar. So those that are our age. Um, or people are familiar with VHS tapes. You've got like the regular sort of format where it's just like the the cover is only as big, exactly as big as the tape, right? Like the sort of slide on that you would see like in the video store or whatever. But then the cool, like older or weirder or more high budget or just interesting movies always had the bigger plastic case with the laminated pocket fronts. And, uh, and so... Uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, when you would buy like a, a lecture series on cassette tape for how to negotiate, right? It'd be like in this plastic, right. right? Like it'd be like, Absolutely. In this, so yep. it's, it's that kind of a thing. So like if you're into uh, uh, the minutia of packaging, which I guess, I guess um, yeah. I'm outing myself as being one of those people, but, uh, but that's really Me cool. Too. That's a, that's a huge decision to make, right? Like, I love that. If you, it's one thing to go VHS. It's another thing to go. Like, is there a name for those types of covers or whatever? Yeah, the, Dis- the Disney clamshells, you know what I mean? Hey, that's what they are. You gotta, I will. I will give a trade secret. Uh, it's hard to find them nowadays. When all else fails, buy a bin of old Disney movies like Beethoven Four and Airbud and all that. Just take the insert out, and you can do it right like that. But um, there, I mean, there, there, you can find them, but it, it's difficult. I think I wouldn't put VHS out on something on VHS just to be kind of like kitschy or something like that. But I, Nightcrawlers, we were like, okay, you should either be able to stream it on Amazon or be hardcore enough to buy it on VHS. There should be no in between DVD for the. You know, like either go all in on it. Um, and surprisingly, people do buy the VHSs. You know, we have to make them by hand. We have a little factory, which is just, you know, a monitor and some archaic equipment. And we have and we have some posters. And um, the really important thing, though, is um, there's a limited amount of green VHS tapes. And the significance of that is the sets that are going to have those primarily. There's only going to be 10 of them. And there's only five that haven't been pre-ordered for $50, which sounds expensive. You get the tape, you get a pin. You get a lobby card, you get a poster, but the big thing is you get a personal item from Steven's journey. And uh, these vary wildly, and it's totally Russian roulette. You could get his old tap dancing shoes, or you can get a copy of his old public access cooking show that he made that never made it. Um, you know, <laughs> wow, there's only that one copy. Amazing. And there's five, and there's, five uh, left, you said. There's five left. There's journals that he wrote like when he was in like the uh, mental hospital. I mean, just a... Uh, a lot of things that are really interesting and that he wanted to give um, his homeless card from when he was in the shelter uh, as a way of, I think, purging these histories past. And, and, and you know, obviously we're selling them. Yeah, so there is going to be 10 of those. So I'm excited about that. And they come on a different, you know, these are the red VHS tapes. There's also these green ones with a different cover for the sort of more limited sets that we're doing. So uh, we didn't want to go all out this time. Man, that's that's a uh, there's a lot of power in objects, I believe for sure. Where, you, where we we're at least we're capable of assigning a lot of value to these for things, sure. and and uh, I think that to hear that you've got it's essentially those are sort of sacred artifacts that 
um, are necessary. It, the, the, it's the most necessary thing on this journey. If you want to be involved, it sounds like on, in this project in any sort of tangible or experiential way, there are five opportunities to, to do it where you're going to get not like uh, signed, whatever the hell, you know, it's not, I mean, you might, but I guess what I'm saying is like, you're going to, you're going to get these, these actual artifacts from the film, from a real person that uh, had this experience. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, uh, if to bring up Gummo again or something like that, like if I if if I could get like you the know bunny ears, the, the bunny ears, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay. Totally. I mean, Love I mean, the bunny ears. Yeah, there was an so, art to using the bunny ears. Um, I didn't know you were a big VHS like that. You were into that because I mean we love it. Like the the packaging of them, they were like records where they had bigger art and like yeah. sort of more like film than digital. Yeah. At least Tape, you know? Yeah. So um, I, the, the, what you're describing too is the exact sort of place that I've been for a long time now where it's like, either I want full ease of use digital. I, I have sort of completely let go of anything about people having a thing, right? Just, I need you just to watch this thing or listen to this record or whatever versus and this middle game of like inconsequential media and usually in disc form for whatever reason that just has never resonated. And I, and I don't think that it ever will. And then it's just kind of plastic trash. Right. And then, uh, but then on the other side, you've got like, you know, vinyl is obviously a Thing, you know, or cassettes. Uh, so uh, when I when I release something, generally I'll do vinyl, cassette, uh, and then just straight up digital to everything else. This whole middle ground sort of sort of space, like forget about it. Like either do it right and have something that you can sort of you know fetishize or whatever, freak out about. It's just nice to have something tangible and experiential. That's why I can't fucking believe this whole you know tap dance shoes, journals, uh, all like that blows my mind. That seriously, that blows my mind. We, uh, in fact, um, it might be like 10% of my net worth right now because it's the end of the month, but I'm going to try to sign up for one of those as fast as possible. Well, yeah, I really appreciate that. We're trying to, <laughs> we are trying to do something different and I, I really appreciate that. I'll tell you, you make me feel a lot less alone in the world because people do ask me like, are you sure you want to release it like this? And I'm like, no, I, I believe there are people like, you know, when you make something, you kind of believe there are people like you. And I thought, I believe there are people like me that we want something. <laughs> a lot of times that's not always the case because maybe I'm just a little bit of a weirdo. But this time it does seem, it, it seems like it's resonating. I hope there are uh, 50 more people like you out there. That, yeah. uh, oh, I'd rather have actual meaning than facsimiles of meaning. Yeah, no, and I, I, I was, I'm actually kind of touched in it. And Joel, I was alone with your opinion of like that the CD just never like, like, I mean, I had DVDs, but it just didn't really feel like I was owning anything but a digital. Cause I, maybe because I burned DVDs and discs growing up. So it just, to me, I just know that's just a disc with a little thing implanted on it with like the record, like physicality to the grooves in it. And with VHS tape, like you said, like there's a physicality. And I don't know how much time we have left, but this kind of does relate to, I don't know if I mentioned, probably should have, but it wasn't my, you asked what my routine was, but this is my routine a month ago. I was actually in China um, during the coronavirus stuff in the uh, second most uh, affected uh, area uh, province called Guangzhou. Um, and, it, and technically I'm in self quarantine right now. So uh, really? I didn't mention, I don't know. That's a weird thing to drop at the end of this, but I didn't mention that. And I shot camcorder footage during all of this. And I'm working with the Nightcrawlers team, all the same people to uh, make something come out later this year. Whoa. You're in self quarantine right now. Yes. Well, I've long? been actually, how long, how long will you keep yourself in self-quarantine? How long is? How long do you have to wait for the incubation period or whatever to be over? <laughs> so it, it sounds like a sci-fi movie, but it's true. So with self-quarantine, people who can't, can't go to work, a lot of people, uh -huh. um, 
from home, so that's fine. But it was supposed to be two weeks, and then my wife was supposed to go back to work. But it actually extended it to now an additional week. I don't know what that means, but uh, I'm allowed to go out with a mask on. I have to be cautious, but um, take my temperature twice a day. It's nothing too crazy, but yeah, it's. But it's that's been just because you may have been exposed, kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, you know, I noticed right when I got back, like maybe because it didn't seem as big of a deal to me, but I was like hitting people up, like, yeah, man, I'm back from China, like in a couple of weeks. Like, now. <laughs> Some people are like, no, yeah, next month. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all booked up till then. Hey, back from China. Hey, by, the, by the way, like, <laughs> it's like the worst thing like, you can say I, to somebody I, right now. No, but here's the thing. Yeah. Like, I think that there's some, I think there's a value to this that people are not, I mean, look, I'm not trying to like sort of shy from a tragedy or anything like this, right? It's a, it's a tragic thing that people are dying from this, right? But. On the other hand, um, no, but like, have you ever seen the Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry David, uh, his, his mom, I think his mom died. And then he realized that that was getting him out of every obligation, just wild, like everywhere. So he would, people would call him about meetings or he'd just be like, ah, you know, my mom, like, but he kept, oh, I see. he kept using this excuse for so long, uh, that it got to be sort of questionable. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I feel like that maybe this is sort of a similar thing, right? Where it's like, ah, yeah, I'd love to, but you know, self quarantine. Uh, <laughs> oh man. I know. I just wish people could use that on their landlord. You know what I mean? And the funny thing is, right. um, in China, in China, you actually kind of can like, you know, Eric, the leader, the leader, uh, didn't tell people they had to, but urged like landlords people breaks and then they started doing it. Yeah, you will not catch anyone, you know, we can say what we want about China, um, which I think some of it is completely incorrect, but I will say um, that's one thing I think in China's regard is the fact that people are abiding, abiding by that and like cutting their rent for people because there are people there right now, and this is what I think a lot of people should worry about with the China thing. Is, sure, be worried about one of the maybe 100 people in the US that might get it. They probably won't have healthcare, so because American healthcare sucks, but what we should really worry about is people in China and the economy. There are people who can't work for three weeks. Could you just, at least for me, could you imagine if you could not work for three weeks? Uh, small business owners getting hit the worst because they can't hit the pay employees and they cannot uh, do any business for three weeks. And if they sell outside of China, they're even more. That was some of what I was seeing there and was um, really scary. I would say it's, it's to me, it's not the pandemic element as scary as that is because the fatality rate's low. It doesn't even seem to kill a lot of children, which is like, but I do feel scared for the elderly people but yeah uh, it could be crippling to a country's economy all, all outright i mean and there are people uh i don't believe in the monolithic idea of a country being like a, a giant being made up of smaller people like this is china i think the chinese people and the chinese government being separate and i think for the chinese people i say a lot of prayers for them not just because my wife's chinese but i think as humans we should all start to think about other countries as just human beings not a monolithic force with an interesting name like China or you know, I think you know, that it actually diminishes what I think over time languages change what we visualize when we think of words like that. China has a spot on the map. China is actually a billion people. Like, you know what I mean? Like I find myself doing it and I've tried to change my like with Israel and other places where I don't say anymore like so-and-so this. I actually say I specify what part of that because you know I do think as human beings, I hope um, not to go off on a tangent at the end of, you know, talking to you guys. But you, <laughs> I love talk, it. Why we're ties, is this okay? Is this, yeah, is this, yeah, okay? this, is, this is par for the course, man. <laughs> we were bored. <laughs> we wouldn't exist without these tangents. Uh, yeah, I think with Nightcrawlers, it ties into a bigger philosophy as filmmakers that everybody in my arc like the bright brain kind of shares, which we are, we are all human beings. Um, we're all We're all in that way brothers and sisters. That's why I truly believe that. And you can apply that to any country. 
And I think that we have more in common than we often like to realize. We have different cultures, which we should embrace and religions and perspectives. But as basic human beings, we want, you know, love and these things are universal. That's why I think a smile can be done in any language. There are commonalities that we share that uh, we lose sight of when we buy into the football team narrative of like, we have to beat Russia in the economy. We have to beat. It's like we didn't have to beat anybody. The only way we're going to solve any real problems, whether it's homelessness or these different things, is if we all kind of have to work together because we're, we're not the only country with night crawlers. I think one reason it resonates in a lot of countries, I get messages, I got messages from Malaysia, um, you know, Spain, Berlin, and, you know, those kind of places too, but then places like, you know, totally unexpected. And, and I think um, like Malaysia was a shocker, but it wasn't the only one where I thought, wow, this is really universal. Like this is happening everywhere in places like the Philippines, you know, uh, rounded up and killed for it. And I mean, there's varying ways they're treating addiction, but it is this great enigma that is impossible to really tie down to one thing that I think speaks to a larger human suffering. I think that's the root of addiction. Is, is it, is it un, and just like a smile can be interpreted in any culture, so can human suffering. I think there's a sharing element between two addicts on two street corners in two different borders across from, you know, that it, it's, it, there's, I don't, I don't categorize that as one nation or other. That's, that's a human connection. There. And I do think that's what people see in this film. Sorry, <laughs> no, that was great. No, that's perfect. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's that's really perfect. I think we, I, I would love to. Uh, gosh, I've almost. I feel like we should just have you back on sooner than later because uh, there's a lot more to to sort of cover there. But um, but uh, you know, and who knows? I mean, we might talk to you in two or three months, and you might still be in self quarantine. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Well, like, they'll, be, they'll be widely reporting that the virus has been eradicated. There's no problem. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll check back in with you. You're like, yeah, still in self quarantine. Yeah, yeah. Believe what they're telling you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? It's a it's... certain point, depending on how where the society is in two or three months. I may just self quarantine myself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think we've all been sort of uh, spiritually self quarantined for a while now. <laughs> I agree with that. No, no question. But yeah, no, I'd love to come on anytime. We don't. I don't do a lot of these. Sometimes I might be able to get Stephen sometime like we, we we haven't really done a lot and we, we love to just have a conversation you know less like an interview and more just a discussion right yeah well um before we before we you know cut this off all the way let's backtrack for a second if people want to uh sign up to get one of these these the special edition vhs tapes or some of the other merch you mentioned or make sure they get the right links to all this kind of stuff where's like the central hub for the for the film for people to be you know to follow it I'm glad you asked me that because <laughs> we never paid Google or anything. So like if you Google it, it won't really pop up. You just put nightcrawlersthefilm.com. Okay, great. Just, put just that in your address bar, nightcrawlersthefilm.com. It hasn't been updated as recently, but there's a merch section there. And you just click that. And the actual thing just says coming soon. Uh, a little mystery and suspense there. But tonight we're going to have it actually uploaded with product photos and some things we just shot that uh, – Give you an idea of exactly what you're going to get. Nice, That's wonderful. We'll put the the link also in the uh, in the show notes. So every single place that it's syndicated, it goes to all the platforms, and there'll be a click a clickable uh, link to take people uh, right there. Uh, although I may obfuscate the link a little bit or make it a little troublesome for people, so that I make sure I'm still one of the five. Because right, you want to like you throw <laughs> yeah, them off yeah. the trail. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like, like oh, sorry, fix that, guys. Yeah. Sorry about that. Oh yeah, yeah. no, sorry. I think the link works now. Reload the page. <laughs> <laughs> F five, you. 
fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, also too, where can people uh, follow you on on the on the social media stuff? Because that's that's been the way that you know I've been able to keep in touch with you guys since the film, uh, you know, since the film was at our festival last summer, and uh, and you know I think that's probably one of the best ways for people to be up to date on what's going on with this release. Yeah, so it's no secret we're not a big conglomerate, uh, my our collective. So we we have sort of a Twitter that we use called uh, Nightcrawlers. Uh, is it? Uh, I'm blanking on the on the Twitter now for a second because we don't we don't use it that much. We just haven't had a whole lot of. We're kind of late in the game on that. I think the best way to really follow it would be to go to Instagram and Nightcrawlers Movie. You know, Nightcrawlers Movie is where we're doing. I, I run the page. And uh, yeah, and people even reach out to us and say, "Oh, I can tell Steve and I said so and so," and like you know, he's a call away. We're we're, we're like brothers. We're like family. Uh, there's a personal element to that. But yeah, nightcrawlersmovie dot uh, dot com. Uh, I mean, Nightcrawlers Movie is where we're also uploading on Instagram like a lot of teasers. And, and- yeah, it's really exciting to see the you know. T- it's exciting for me to, you know, have gotten a chance to see that movie, you know, uh, all, not a year ago, but, you know, several months ago and see it like really, you know, highlighted at this festival that I love. And now to see like, oh, man, you guys are going to get a chance to get this out there even further. And I hope uh, I hope whatever role we're playing right now will help you, you know, to to create some more buzz around it, because it's a movie that people really, really should see. Um, uh, I know there's a lot of people who listen here in Nashville. And if you missed the film at Defy, you should definitely watch this movie. So, and we actually have quite a bit of listeners in California. So, uh, just uh, we would give out your address, but it doesn't sound like it's the place to be right now. So, um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, hey, so so we'll wrap it up. But we'll, we'll talk a little bit more after we 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 uh, we, we shut down the uh, the um, two inch tape machine that's actually rolling yeah, uh, right this now. This is going straight to tape. Uh, yeah, you can't see it. it's just below the camera there. But like, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. this is a very is it okay expensive. If, I, if it's okay if I thank you guys, though, I want to thank you for letting us. <laughs> For letting me come on your po- uh, podcast, I mean it, it really means a lot. And Joe being an early supporter of the film and writing the film, we don't forget that kind of stuff. So I right just on, man. Well, I'm, I was happy to do it. It really, I, you know, I mean, I like to write about movies because I love movies, and so getting a chance to see another a new movie that. I mean, we could keep talking about the movie, but uh, I love the movie then, I love the movie now, and I love the opportunity to talk to you as well, brother, and I love the fact that we get to, like, let more people know about it, so hopefully we get even a bigger audience for it. Thank you. you All right. So we're out. uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Make sure you subscribe and all that uh, stuff. Jazz. uh, All the jazz. uh, But seriously, thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash Art Fight Podcast, click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast, and once you get there you'll have three options. 
you can just choose the lowest level. You're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and, and help us out. Again, anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast. Click on support this podcast. All right. Thanks, everyone.